When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 72. Today's episode is all about making meaningful connections. To me, it's it's how do you find really cool experiences and how do you kind of come at it from a sense of service? And when you add value to other people, and I'm really into the experiences because I think, you know, we've become conditioned to gifts being material things, but I think the true gifts that most of us love and celebrate the most and be the ones we remember sort of on our deathbed are the beautiful experiences we've shared with other people. So I think if you can create an opportunity to create a momentous and unique and memorable opportunity or experience for someone to connect with that which they love, then benefits will come to you, uh, not because you're going in with that intention, but just because that's just how the world works. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Mind Love is a CastBox original. You can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but CastBox is pretty awesome, so I hope you'll give it a try. And tap that cute little button that says subscribe. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Hello friends and wild women. The last decade has been a journey of transformation for me. And as I've mentioned time and again on mind love, one of the most valuable and rewarding changes I've made has been just cleansing and leveling up my social circle. It wasn't that long ago that I practically prided myself on being the biggest party girl that I knew. (laughs) But I got to a point that big life changes were really hard to achieve because I was so tempted to fall back into patterns that weren't serving me or my highest good. Making changes like this is not always easy, especially when you have to cut out friendships. But I will say that ultimately, it's rewarding. There was a time that I was still in this limbo state, not wanting to let go of certain friendships, but realizing that the only time I could nurture those friendships were through activities that sunk me back into my lower self. But when I was finally able to stand firm in the person I was becoming, I was able to make room for some really deep friendships with some of the most inspiring people I know. To make this happen, part of my growth has been connecting with people in more meaningful ways, like over shared interests rather than just shared location. Well, I'm happy to bring on one of those new friendships today. His name is Michael Trainer. He has spent the last 23 years traveling the world to learn from the best in human optimization, as he calls them, the peak minds of the world. One thing I noticed about Michael from the day we met was his ability to connect with people on a deep level. And that ability has helped him connect with some of the world's top thought leaders, from traditional healers to doctors at the cutting edge of modern science, Nobel Prize winners to elite performers. 
He literally hosted the Dalai Lama's birthday party, you guys. Well, today he's going to share his secrets with us. Three key things we will learn today are how to create meaningful connections, the inner workings of creating a movement, and easy ways to get beyond the surface with new friendships. Before we dive in, I want to share the easiest way to start each day with a positive mindset. Thousands of other wild women are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power that are the perfect addition to your morning routine. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven principles from the most successful people to automate your best self. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set to a magical binaural frequency known as the miracle tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. Go to mindlove.com to sign up, or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 444-999. That's morning to 444-999. And now let's welcome Michael Trainer to the show. Thank you, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be with you. First of all, I just want to say how impressed I am with you. Some of the things that you've already accomplished that you're done with are things that people work their whole lives to create. So today I'd like to just get some insight into how your brain works and how you've been able to do such big things. So to start off, tell us about your current project, Peak Mind, and what inspired it. Yeah, well, thank you for asking and thank you for the gracious compliment. I would say Peak Mind for me was really a journey within. So I had been building along with a pretty extraordinary small team, an organization called Global Citizen, which was a, a philanthropic music festival oriented towards ending extreme poverty. And about three years in, unfortunately, my father was diagnosed with dementia and I had kind of a crisis of the soul and started looking within and Global Citizen, we had built it up from nothing to, to really being an established entity by that third year. And so I decided to take my dad to South Africa. And on that trip, we kind of visited the Mandela legacy. And I really have a tremendous amount of admiration for the Mandela legacy and just had one of the best trips in my life with my dad. I feel like that, that time where you can kind of take with your family and the quality of memories was in some ways no more salient than when I knew that memories would be slipping from us in the not so distant future. And so it was actually on that trip that I decided to leave Global Citizen. Peak Mind at that point wasn't yet a vision. I basically decided to spend 30 days in meditation. And it was actually on the 30th day. I had gotten an apartment and I was living in New York and got an apartment in LA. And I was on the 30th day, went down to the ocean where I live and just started to get emotional. And I had an intuitive hit to uh, jump in the ocean, which didn't make much sense given it was uh, freezing in November. But uh, I jumped in and had this kind of vivid, both kind of like awakening in terms of like the cold, but also this kind of crazy idea to host an event around meditation with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And didn't have any connections to His Holiness, didn't, uh, was not necessarily a rational idea, but it came to me as an insight and an idea. And given what we had done with Global Citizen, which was largely around kind of creating a platform for some of the world's biggest influencers to share a message 
so that we could build a movement around ending extreme poverty, I thought, what would it look like to potentially do that for issues like brain health or issues that are really lifestyle-borne diseases? With Global Citizen, we were working to combat diseases like polio and malaria, which were largely endemic to the developing world. But what I saw when I did deep research into my dad's dementia was that it was being called type 3 diabetes. Diabetes is now a, a huge issue all around the world. They, they say half the U.S. population is pre-diabetic, half the Chinese population nearly is pre-diabetic. And so I was like, how can we bring awareness to this issue that's not being talked about? And given the global citizen roots, I thought, well, maybe if we can bring some really tremendous luminaries to talk about practices that help in creating a healthier lifestyle, we could build a new momentum. And so the idea was born for Peak Mind, really out of wanting to host his holiness's 80th birthday i did some research and discover his birthday was basically in july not far from the date of nelson mandela day and i was working at the time with nelson mandela's grandson on a campaign around his grandfather's legacy and i thought wow it could be really powerful synergies and so to make a very long story short um, declared that i would work to host the 80th birthday of his holiness the dalai lama and to do so around meditation and mindfulness so creating a festival from scratch is a lot of work. I think if we learned anything from Fire Festival, <laughs> it's that those types of things are a little harder than they might seem. And to put an entirely different spin on it and make it about social good is pretty incredible. So I'm curious, where did you come from? Were there other entrepreneurs in your family that set an example for you? Or were you the first to carve that path? I wouldn't say that I came from a long line of entrepreneurs. My father worked for himself in the finance industry, and my mother was a school teacher for young children and was a volunteer uh, for a good portion of her life working with animals. We didn't grow up with a huge amount of money, but a couple of virtues were really celebrated. One was education, and the other was travel. I think travel is one of the greatest educations. And so, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a strong corollary, but I think. As you start to travel, I think your maybe tolerance for risk or willingness to sort of break out of the boundaries of a particular perception, I think, gets enhanced. And so I didn't necessarily come from a long line of entrepreneurs, but it was from my travels that I was always curious about other people and how we can celebrate our shared humanity. And I've always been interested in social impact. So my first companies we're actually based largely in adding value to social impact brands, largely through through storytelling, because I think that's still the way that we bond together, whether you look at whatever film you're talking about. I mean, basically, you look at Star Wars, that's largely the sort of Joseph Campbell hero's journey that's been mythologized in different cultures since time immemorial. So for me, I've really looked at how can we apply some of those traditional principles that I think are endemic to our shared humanity, but also having lived, I lived in Sri Lanka for two years, and that's really where I was exposed to extreme poverty, which is why I was passionate about this idea of global citizen. But it was during that time that I really saw also a culture in Sri Lanka. Traditionally, there really wasn't a concept of privacy, and there really wasn't a concept of possession. So you exist in relationship to the whole. And if one person fell out of balance, it was the role of the entire community to bring that person back 
into balance because in the collective balance was the wholeness. And so coming from the West, which obviously really celebrates this notion of individuality and is more of a materialistic oriented society, not saying that's wrong, it's just to say it's a very different worldview from what I had been exposed to. I spent a good number of years really trying to figure out how to make sense of what I saw to be true for me in my experience in Sri Lanka and also what I saw to be true, you know, having been born and raised in the heart of one of the country's biggest cities in Chicago in the U.S. And so I think a lot of my entrepreneurial endeavors have really been born out of that question because I think we still yearn for a sense of community. We still yearn for a sense of our collective possibility, but I think our systems largely romanticize this notion that as individuals and as entrepreneurs, that we're kind of islands on a hill. And I think, as we've seen with a lot of the mental illness we're seeing around us, as well as I think a lot of the physical manifestations of these lifestyle-borne diseases, which I now see are basically becoming a global epidemic, I think there's still a desire to connect and to feel connected. And so for me, a lot of my entrepreneurship has really been what I would call social entrepreneurship. So I am interested in the mechanisms that work within our traditional society, but I'm also interested in sort of our shared humanity. And probably some of your audience is familiar with, but there's this notion of a triple bottom line where instead of just being oriented towards profits, you're also oriented towards the social impact and the environmental cost and consequence of your endeavors. And so for me, been mindful of creating businesses that are beneficial both ideally for the planet and for our shared humanity. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Have you ever been in a situation where there was an opportunity that might tread that line where you knew it would be really profitable for you, but it wasn't necessarily in line with your values? Yeah, actually, I don't know that I've talked about this publicly, but interestingly enough, I actually had, I'm not going to mention the brand, but I had a brand, I've done a lot of creative direction and, and kind of campaign design, movement building, if you will. But in the context of brands, did a lot of brand building and I had brand reach out to me that was from Europe, but, uh, and they offered me a not insignificant amount of money. Actually, in some ways, what would have been one of the coolest jobs ever. I mean, basically to be an ambassador. So just to be in great places, hang out with wonderful people and take imagery, which are all things I'm passionate about, for which they would compensate me very significantly. And I actually started to do the campaign. I actually took a bunch of photos. And as I was flying to New York to hand over the drive to start our engagement, I was landing. And I remember at the time there was a summit series gathering with Tim Ferriss and I was heading uptown and I just couldn't bring myself to stop and drop this drive off, which literally all it would have meant was me handing over a drive and being given a very significant amount of money. I just didn't feel the brand ultimately did not feel aligned to my values. And so I never handed over the drive. I never collected the money. And instead, I went and volunteered at the Charity Water Ball. Charity Water is a charity I'm I believe really strongly in. I went to graduate school at Columbia and when Scott Harrison was starting. Very cool public proceeds went to build water projects in the fields, uh, largely freshwater wells, and you could track that well using Google Earth. So he took t- the challenges that many philanthropic endeavors face, which is trust and transparency, and he turned it on its head. And so I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm actually going to go more deeply into my vision and values and just go support organizations I believe in. And so I volunteered for no money at all to go help and support with media around their annual charity ball. And it was actually at the charity ball that I met Bobby Bailey and Hugh Evans, who are the gentlemen with whom I I wound up working along with uh, Ryan Gall to launch uh, Global Poverty Project in the U.S. and then ultimately Global Citizen. So it was actually a fortuitous turn. I turned down the, the easy money that was incommensurate with my values, went more deeply into my values, and uh, the universe granted me an opportunity to build something truly unique and extraordinary with, uh, with a small group of uh, dedicated souls. I love that. And honestly, sometimes it's hard to do the right thing. But I honestly believe that doing the right thing or the thing that's most in line with our values opens doors to things that are so much more rewarding, even if we can't see the direct path to it just yet. It's funny because just this week I was offered a sponsorship and I won't name the brand, but it's a gummy vitamin. So I know that gummy vitamins are fake healthy. They have sugars and they have additives and fillers. Well, this particular gummy vitamin is all over Instagram, and it seems like everyone's jumped on the bandwagon. 
But I figure if you're taking a vitamin, why are you taking it with sugar that's going to deplete half of the nutrients that you're trying to absorb? Plus, back in my bulimia days, there were at least three different occasions that I totally binged on gummy vitamins, and I am surprised I didn't OD on vitamin C. (laughs) But at the same time, the money was good. They were offering more than some of my other sponsors. But aside from that, it's not like I think gummy vitamins are the worst thing in the world. It might be the only way a particular person will take a vitamin. So they're not all bad, and it's not like I'd be promoting cigarettes. But for me personally, it just didn't seem fully in line with what I felt really great about endorsing. And if I'm going to have a platform of influence, that integrity is important to me. Plus, I honestly believe the more you let go of, the more you say no to, the more you make room for the things that are so authentically you, the things that will open more doors. And that space you create is like a vacuum for opportunities. Well, I think what's interesting from my experience is as you take those stands, I do believe that different opportunities, is that old adage that as one door closes, another one opens. But I think what's not often talked about is I think when we do things that aren't aligned with our values, we start to sabotage ourselves from the amazing opportunities that are right before us, right? I think there's so many opportunities before us at all times. I mean, obviously, in many regards, it's almost infinite. And I think that oftentimes we don't see clearly, and especially we don't see clearly if we're operating out of line with, or I should say out of integrity with our own internal values. So I commend you for making a stand commensurate with your values. And in my kind of humble opinion, once we stand more at integrity with our own vision and values, the world comes up to greet us. I remember coming across a core values exercise when I was in my early 20s, and it was a long list that said things like integrity, dependability, reliability, loyalty, open-mindedness. And I remember thinking, well, obviously all of these, why wouldn't I want all of these in my life? But it wasn't until later, probably in the last five years or so, that I really started to get clear on the values that moved me more so than just what the ideal is. And you think, why should it be so hard to figure out what's important to me? But I feel like we're so often being told what we should value and what we should own and how we should look that sometimes we don't leave room to sit in stillness and figure that out on our own, especially when we're younger and we're still just trying to find who we are and where our place is in the world. It can be difficult to sift out what's ours and what's societal expectations. But one thing I love about your story is that everything you've created so far does have this greater purpose. When in your life did you figure out what you valued and finally start to live into that? For me, it's been an ongoing process. I wouldn't say necessarily that there was a declarative moment in which I realized the sum total of all my values. I think for me, it's been an almost an unfurling and it's it's happened largely when I've done dedicated periods of reflective work. So I've done a, a pretty decent amount of both education in the traditional sense. I've always loved books and learning, but I've also done a, a fair amount of personal growth and personal kind of, for lack of a better term, workshops and trips and ways in which that I could push myself sort of beyond my comfort zone. 
And oftentimes in those areas of discomfort, I've found my greatest growth and also clarity on what aligns and what does not align to who I want to be. And so for me, I started that process relatively young. My dad actually took me through, it was a very, very powerful period of my life. I was going through some really tough challenges. I had moved across the country and my girlfriend at the time, unfortunately, cheated on me. And so I was basically, I moved across the country and was alone and didn't really have a community. I'd left all my community behind to be out there. And at that time, my dad actually flew out and took me through what was called at the time the Mankind Project uh, for a weekend, which was basically, in a way, an opportunity both where we bonded way more intensely because he, he flew out in service. He actually paid to be in service for the weekend. And also his group banded together to sponsor my weekend. So it was really an opportunity where I felt in some of my darkest hours kind of held and seen by this kind of community beyond myself. And that experience, that weekend, which was followed up by four years, by the way, of week in, week out, getting together with a group of men and really working on my vision and my values, per your question, on a consistent basis and doing the, the hard work to cut through the sort of limiting beliefs or patterns that kept me from my deepest sense of self and integrity and really clarified that vision. But for me, in part, I think it's innate and you know it because you know what feels right and what doesn't feel right. And then wherein there's questions, I think going into the proverbial cave, as it, as it were, or going on this sort of, we all have our own equivalent of the hero's journey. It's in that journey that we oftentimes, I think, get greater clarity into what our unique values are, which are oftentimes the foundation stones for our unique gifts and the expression of our unique gifts. To go back to that sort of Star Wars analogy, it's the force in the context of that sort of Skywalker and Skywalkerian sense, right? Of like, it's only in facing your greatest fears and your shadow, which in that Star Wars analogy would largely be the sort of Darth Vader or the dark side context, that your light really starts to shine. And so I don't know if that's helpful. I, I think it's a combination of both an innate sense and sensibility and then doing some of the deep work and journeying to really uncover that which is a false belief or false sense of self and clarifying that which is really truly our own. Our own unique gift and expression, generally speaking, aligned with a universal sense of value. Let's talk about global citizen. I'm so inspired by that idea because it merges an actual need of extreme poverty and something that people really want to be a part of, like a music festival. Where did the seed of that idea start and how did you actually get the resources to make it a reality? This is a, probably a podcast unto itself, but what I'll say is when I met Hugh, he had a core question, which was, how, what are we going to do to put issues of extreme poverty on the map in the U.S.? And I had thought through, there are a few things that galvanize our sense of shared possibility more than music. And at the time, the prevailing narrative that you'd see around philanthropic causes, I call kind of poverty porn. It's this almost like Sally Struthers, let's show up a poor child in Africa and ask someone to give up their cup of coffee, which may lead to a donation, but it doesn't in any way engender a greater sense of our shared humanity. And so we really wanted to create something that spoke to our shared possibility and did so 
through a narrative of hope and joy, not sugarcoating over the issues, but more as an inroads to building a greater movement grounded in justice around our shared humanity. And so what you mentioned earlier is I think the great disruption in some ways happened out of a constraint, which is we wanted to host the festival on the Great Lawn in Central Park because it's such an iconic location. Park is an outdoor venue. My favorite album growing up was Simon Garfunkel's concert in Central Park. But to host on on the Great Lawn, you can't actually buy tickets. That's one of the restrictions from the parks. And it's not an inexpensive endeavor given all the costs with the police force and the unions and the conservancy, etc. So we actually turn that disadvantage into our great advantage. So people have to take action to earn their tickets because great critique is often levied, which I think is a fair critique, which is in the context, say, for example, of a documentary film, you may spend years on that documentary film and people walk away and throw their popcorn away. And what are they going to do about that issue afterwards? Oftentimes, in, in many cases, the answer is nothing. So awareness is one thing, but action is another. And so we made it so people were actually aware and felt this share, a sense of shared action before even coming to the festival itself. They earn their tickets. And then the other benefit was we took those emails and those actions. For example, you might sign a petition for a polio vaccine through the Gates Foundation, for example, and that would give you points. You may watch a piece of content and that would give you points around issues facing the extreme poor around the world. And I made a fair number of those films um, in different countries. And we tie those to particular campaigns. And then we would partner with heads of state or some of these large scale influencers and then leverage those actions by everyday global citizen to get multi-million dollar contributions on behalf of the world's poor. And so it really became a policy framework whereby we could leverage the actions of everyday people who then came to do what they love, which is go see Beyonce's, the Jay-Z's, the Neil Young, the Black Keys, the Foo Fighters, folks like this. And in that space, develop a greater rapport and learn even more because we'd bring a lot of these world leaders on stage. I had made some films around some of the issues around the world. A lot of these heads of state would come up and present the issues in their own words. So it really became a platform and team worked tirelessly to make it happen. And many times in that journey, especially in the early days, it looked tenuous. But I think that's what the, one of the other things is when you have a powerful vision for something bigger than yourself. It's amazing how the world kind of comes up to greet you. So it was really born out of the challenge of how do we build a movement and how do we build a movement based in our shared humanity? But how do we do that in a way that's not been done before? And that grew largely out of this vision for using music, which is such a universal language and some of the great icons of our time, because they have such great distribution channels to galvanize a broader based awareness and actions that could then be leveraged for tangible commitments. The idea is genius, really, because people want to be a part of something. I think deep down, There's a part of us that's always searching for belonging. It's interesting to watch the changes in the nonprofit space because, of course, making donations to a charity is easier than it's ever been. Online giving is on the rise. But I think clicking that donate button only gives us that sense of being a part of something bigger than ourselves for a moment, whereas actually getting involved creates something more lasting because it becomes a memory. My hubby does websites for nonprofits. And one of his favorite parts, the part that makes him glow about his job is 
actually participating in the fundraising events of the nonprofits that he partners with. So he will actually do their fun run or bike around Lake Tahoe or help raise money for autism. Last summer, he was a camp counselor at the Painted Turtle, and he loves it because it feels purposeful. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What was the most surprising thing that you learned in creating that movement? There's several things, but the power of teamwork. The amount of times people would rise up in our darkest hours. There were times during that first year where we lost a million dollars in a business model. We'd have to basically find that in a week, you know, and a, or a headliner would pull out and we'd have to find a new headliner. And things that would seemingly feel impossible in the context of your overall day to day. Like if someone presented me with that challenge right now, when I'm not in that mindset or with that team, it would be a whole different worldview. Now, thankfully, I've gone through that experience, but at the time, Having a small group, there's that famous Margaret quote, and I, I won't actually read the quote because I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's something to the effect of never doubt the power of a small group of committed souls because it's the only thing that's really ever changed the world. What I found was the power of a small but committed team is really not to be underestimated, especially when rallied around a vision bigger than any one person. Right. So that's one of the things I've discovered time and again. I think whether it's when we started off with Global Citizen or when I started off with this Dalai Lama event, the vision was way beyond my reckoning. 
but it was about something bigger than me. And so when you embrace a vision that is that big, there's space and room to enroll a whole group of amazing people with different skill sets into that vision. And the possibilities there are truly profound. Speaking about the power of a small team is actually the perfect segue into something I noticed about you the first time we ever met. And that's your ability to connect with people in an authentic way. And here's an example. When we first met, we exchanged contact information. And instead of just sending me your name in a text or shooting me an email like most people do, you actually sent me an emoji text. <laughs> so it was your face as a monkey speaking to me, which is so much more memorable than just shooting me a text or an email like most people do. And I didn't have an iPhone that could send emojis at the time, but now that I have one, that is my primary way of <laughs> interacting with people because I know the effect that it had on me. So I know that part of your personality, it has to have helped in your ability to bring together a team that could create something as big as Global Citizen Festival or somehow become the guy who hosts the Dalai Lama's birthday party. So I'm wondering, when you're meeting somebody for the first time, before you have any idea if they can help move forward your vision, what is your mindset going into that interaction that enables you to create such deep and authentic connections? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm finding it and I'm listening because this is a question now I've been on a few podcasts in the last couple of weeks, and it's a question that keeps coming up. And so I've been working to really distill it down because it's not something I have necessarily a system around. I think partly it's just a natural way of being. That said, I always want to be helpful to an audience. And so if I were to distill it down, because I've been thinking about it lately, I think a lot of it comes down to a, a natural and genuine sense of curiosity. So for me, I'm literally curious all the time. And I try to operate from a place of gratitude. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not always in a place of gratitude. I think all of us go get in bad moods sometimes. But I think most of the time I try to default back to in being self-aware, a place of gratitude. And I definitely take times, you know, I call it sort of going into the wild and, and the wilderness. I'll take times in the wilderness, which is sort of my way of saying I'll go within and be grounded in nature by myself, and that recharges the battery. But then I'll go off into the wild, aka kind of a social event, and I'll relish in the opportunity to connect with people. And so I'm always looking for rapport. One of the things that I, that I would say I don't do, which I think a lot of people do, and I think doesn't in my view, oftentimes lead to the kind of rapport that develops these kind of amazing relationships is come in transactionally, right? So a lot of times people come in and the first question is, what do you do? And you know that based on that question, they're very likely surmising whether or not you're worth their time or not. The way that that shows up oftentimes in the context of networking, quote unquote, event would be we've all had this happen, right? When you're talking to someone and you can tell they're sort of looking over your shoulder to see if someone more, quote unquote, valuable is behind you. That feeling of I'm being transacted with, no one likes. So I think for me, I kind of trust that what needs to come to me will come to me. So I don't necessarily walk into an interaction having to have any kind of transactional value. And I'll base how much time I want to give it based on just how I feel and how the other person feels. But I always come in with the idea of 
hey, how can we just feel great, you know? And I probably won't even ask them what they do. Like there have been plenty of that I don't, it's not even oftentimes a question that occurs to me. I'm just more like, what makes people come alive? What are people passionate about? Or where can we find rapport? And for me, that can be something very basic and just commenting on a shared interest. Or oftentimes, I just love curiously following a conversation to see what unfolds. And so, interestingly enough, that's unfolded in ways that have led to developing pretty profound relationships with some folks that if I had come in transaction, I probably never would have eventuated. I'll I'll give an example because I I think it's kind of obtuse, but I have a connection, which is a wolf sanctuary. And there's no benefit in it for me aside from showing people a wonderful experience, which is something I'm passionate about. Like I love hosting dinner parties. I just love building community. So I brought out a group to the wolf's connection because we would do these full moon walks And it's this really beautiful opportunity to walk with these wolves that are used to bring together youth from L.A., oftentimes youth that have grown up, quote unquote, at risk and formerly abused wolves. And their protocol, their curriculum really is in the healing of both the wolves and the people in coming together. And so it's this really beautiful program. And I've become friends with the founder, and he's sort of given me carte blanche to bring up folks I think could be valuable. And so sometimes I'll just meet someone and I'll get an intuitive sense, hey, I'd love to invite you up for a full moon hike. Now, there's no expectation. There's no commitment. No one's asked to take out their checkbook. It's just like, let's have a wonderful experience. Now, what that's led to has been profound. I mean, I have friends that have wound up sponsoring wolves. I wound up actually meeting Moby out there, and he was so moved by it that he invited Teo, the, the founder, and myself out to dinner at his restaurant, Little Pine, which is now turned in informally into a men's group with some other notable musicians, etc. But nothing w- that w- came out of an intention of like, oh, I've got to like build this relationship. It just grew organically from saying, here's something I care about. I'm passionate about it. And then Moby happens to be a passionate animal advocate. And so we literally had a rapport around that. And that led to the starting of a relationship. But it wasn't because of a transactional benefit on my part. It was just, it literally unfolded. So I think the thing is, to me, it's how do you find really cool experiences? And how do you kind of come at it from a sense of service? And when you add value to other people, and you provide them, I'm really into the experiences, because I think we become conditioned to gifts being material things, but I think the true gifts that most of us love and celebrate the most and be the ones we remember sort of on our deathbed are the beautiful experiences we've shared with other people. So I think if you can create an opportunity to create a momentous and unique and memorable opportunity or experience for someone to connect with that which they love, then benefits will come to you, uh, not because you're going in with that intention, but just because that's just how the world works. I think people are so grateful when you make a difference in their life that they want to build relationships. So for me, as much as possible, I try to stay in that orientation of what do I find in meditation? I did a Vedic practice. They call it charming. And it's this notion of how do you follow your charm? You know, what do you find charming? What, what do you think would be a contribution to someone else? And then in following that charm and, and in, in creating context of being a contribution, like Thursday, I'm hosting a dinner. There's no benefit in it for me. And I just randomly have put together a mix of people that I think would benefit from each other's company. And great. I think it'll be wonderful. And I try to do that like on a monthly basis. Find someone. It doesn't have to be expensive. Literally, Craig, who's a mutual friend of ours, you know, when he started off, he just ordered everyone to split the cost and order Thai food. And he would just invite people to come together. But I think 
finding opportunities to connect and being the source of that connection, bountiful opportunities unfold beyond our even reckoning or planning. And so the more we can get out of our own way and just stay in what we're passionate about and create opportunities for others to share what they're passionate about, I think it leads to a whole nother level of relationships. And I think, unfortunately, we've been conditioned around this notion of what I call, quote unquote, networking. And networking has its role, but I feel like networking as a concept, I almost like to say is dead. And it's it's time now for community building. That sounds so fun, actually. And what a perfect, memorable experience, because the full moon is that most powerful point in the cycle. It's that time of high energy and high power where we release and let go and renew. It just seems like the perfect time to shed in authenticity and step into that fullest connection. This idea of experiences actually reminds me of something that I was just reading. So there was this article about how much our lives really changed after the Industrial Revolution. And one of those ways is that before the Industrial Revolution, people didn't really own very many things. We didn't have the capabilities of mass production. So clothing was mostly made at home, fabric was repurposed into other things. So in a sense, we were sold the idea that a lot of belongings would make us happy because capitalism. Well, as the ebb and flow of trends go, people are realizing that maybe we'll be happier with a little less. It's why there's best-selling books and podcasts on minimalism and Marie Kondo is blowing up. Owning too many things that don't spark joy weigh us down. Don't get me wrong, I love gifts. Gifts are my love language, I'm a Taurus. If you could see the giddy little girl dance that I get whenever a package arrives, even if it's just the new set of pens that I bought myself off Amazon, you'd think I won the damn lottery. Well, I have been known to send people little gifts of gratitude. And while I still may do that, I'm rethinking my strategy. Because with an experience, it's something we can share. It creates a bond. And it ends up in a memory that lasts forever. When you're actually doing something, it's so much easier to show up as your authentic self. When you're networking, it's easy to get into a mindset of trying to impress. And when you're in that mindset, it's hard not to get caught up in thoughts of who you think you should be or what you think they want you to be. But when you're doing something, especially a physical experience, it takes you out of your head and brings you more into your body. So when two people are coming together and connecting on that level, it's just a more natural way to let your unique light shine instead of trying to be somebody that we're not. Yes, I think that's spot on. I mean, what occurred to me as you were talking, not that this is necessarily like the ultimate model of it, but I think an exemplification of what you're sharing, which is take something like a Burning Man, right? That grew out of a couple of people initially coming together on a beach in San Francisco, and now it's is swelling and over capacity almost at 70,000 people. Go to the desert in the middle of nowhere. Like it's hard. Like it takes weeks of preparation. Why? To share an experience. And one bait, which is actually in its cultural mandate, in its declared value, not about transaction. It's about giving. You lead with giving rather than any expectation of receiving, right? It's a gifting culture. 
And I think it's a really interesting cultural paradigm because what we're seeing is I think people yearn for that, right? You can be anyone you want to be there and you lead by giving. And so it totally flips the traditional prevailing narrative on its head of this is who I am, right? Here's my business card. This is how I self-identify. This is how the world sees me. This is what strokes my ego or what have you. And by the way, nothing wrong with being proud of what you do in the world. I'm, I'm just using this a little bit as a sort of a juxtaposing devil's advocate example. But I think in essence, those kinds of experiences lead to the types of relationships that wound up becoming life-changing. And that's not to say you can't build those relationships in a more traditional networking type environment. I think that's what most people, frankly, are exposed to more than not. I'm not naive to, nor do I ever want to be in the bubble to where I think that sort of the Burning Man or LA culture is the norm. You know, I'm from the Midwest and go back frequently and travel places where there's like a small town and a supermarket and a bar. And yes, I think those kinds of ecstatic experiences are amazing for those who have the opportunity to get out there. But I think you're exactly right. I think people can create opportunities for shared value and vision, no matter where you are. We have a farm we go to in Wisconsin, and that is a lake culture. How do you bring people out on your boat? And for me, at that, the rowboat, it's like, hey, you know, like I did this over the weekend. I borrowed a buddy's canoe on the Venice Canals, and I took a friend who was in from out of town, and I said, hey, you want to paddle around and paddle them around in the canals at sunset? And we watched the ducks. And it, I think it's just finding the opportunities in the moment to say yes to a shared experience, which winds up being a hugely rapport building. I agree. And also, when you're meeting somebody in a business setting, you proudly hand them your business card, and that's the side of you that you're presenting. And there's nothing wrong with that. I am so proud of what I've built so far with Mind Love, and I have all these visions for the future. But when I'm in that state of mind, it's hard to let all of the other parts of my personality shine through. It's easy to forget how multifaceted we are. We adhere to these labels, but really, we have both sides of everything within us. Within every introvert is at least moments of extroversion. Within every serious person, there's a part of you that's silly. And it's funny because I think the most beautiful parts of ourselves are the parts that we wouldn't necessarily live stream on Instagram. But I think when you do say yes to these shared experiences, we can't help but step into ourselves more fully. And it turns what would be this two-dimensional connection into something that's more authentic and multidimensional. 100%. And I think to your point, what resonates with me about that is the more we almost become identified with the so there's this kind of e ecological concept, which is a monoculture versus a permaculture. Basically, what we see across the U.S. largely is these monocultures now, right? These singular crops, right? Diversity, like we see in a rainforest, is all these different aspects or plants that are all growing together interdependently. Permaculture, they talk about the relationship between three different types of plants where the waste product of one feeds the other. And I think we all exist in this diversity of ecosystems, both within ourselves and out in the world. But we oftentimes sort of choose to identify with this singular notion of who we are. And that lack of appreciation for our fullness, I think, keeps us from a lot of rich experiences. And I think what's also interesting is you mentioned this culture of like only celebrating what we think will be seen or validated, especially in our social media you know, laden culture based in likes, which is sort of 
training our brain to almost be responsive or add effect to the, the opinions uh, and the powers of others. But in that, what I've found, what's, what's fascinating to me is it's actually the things that are the most vulnerable, the things you wouldn't think people would want to see, that I have anecdotally received the greatest amount of feedback on, right? For me, it's like when I share, which is very vulnerable for me, but when I share about my experience with my dad, who's contending with dementia, and I share about the value of loving your family up while you can, because tomorrow's never promised, you know? And when I share those experiences, people come out of the woodwork and they're like, you know what? You've inspired me. I want to take my mom on a trip. I'm going to go do a weekend with her. I gave her a call. And that means the world to me. It's not something that is necessarily like something that would be my core identity out in the world, but it's like my heart. And what's interesting is then people who know me when they associate with me, it's not something like I take tallies of, but when someone asks me about my dad, because I know it's an uncomfortable subject. I also know that those are like my people because I'm like, you're willing to go there with me. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to ask. I think that that notion of who do we relate to beyond the screen and who are we and what's our relatable shared humanness? I feel like that exists in a diverse array for all of us as both within our own individual selves, but also in the cultural ecosystems we are all a part of. And sometimes I think we get into this particular realm or way of seeing things from a narrow scope or perspective, oftentimes self-imposed because it's what we're focused on building. And nothing wrong with that. It's just to say, I think that it does help to step back every now and again and think through with gratitude all the beautiful things and opportunities which are already our lives as opposed to what's lacking or what needs to be built for this thing that we're building to feel it's there, which never really will. You interview Olympians or world record holders, it's like they achieve that thing. And of course, it's ecstatic. They fundamentally different people a week later. Oftentimes, it's actually just brings them back to there's that ecstasies and then back to the mundane. So we've got, I think a lot of it comes down to who are we really and how are we celebrating all, all different diverse aspects of ourselves and our communities. As you were speaking, I was reminded of when I lost my dad when I was 19. And at that time, I was in college. And I remember afterwards, all I wanted to do was just be able to talk about him and share a memory and have somebody allow me to do that with them. But... It was uncomfortable. People didn't know what to say. And we were in college. So the default was, here, take a shot or let's go out. Let's forget about it. Let's be happy. And I get that, especially at that age. But talking about him was also the only way I knew how to make his memory live on. So I remember just feeling so alone because no one would sit in that discomfort with me. And interestingly enough, last week's episode was emphasizing how important it is for two people to be able to sit in discomfort. And we were discussing it in the realm of politics and realizing that two people can feel uncomfortable and still have this connection without walking away from the table and agreeing on everything. And what these two examples of sitting in the discomfort with each other highlight for me is that that's where we really learn about each other and our shared humanity. So while leading with your successes and your highlight reel when you're networking might make sense on some level, understanding fully that shared humanity, what we have in common, what our needs are, what our differences are, 
That's what's going to help you be a better leader, a better business owner, create better products, be a better friend, mother, wife, husband, whatever, because you'll understand how to really serve people instead of just serving your own desire for success. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot you just brought up there. But first thing that came to mind was, well, thank you for, for sharing about your experience with your dad. And one, I'm sorry to hear that, that that happened to you at that stage. But also what I'm coming to realize, I haven't realized it yet, but just is, is the bond that stays with even beyond a, a physical passing. And there's a saying that I've heard called almost like a compost like a spiritual composting that happens when challenging things happen to us. It's like the garden that allows new seeds to flourish. And I think to your point around challenge, people sitting in the challenge, to me, there's something very healing about just bearing witness. I remember Forrest Gump, uh, you remember that film where basically she goes, revisits her old home where she had suffered some serious traumas and starts to throw rocks at it. And instead of trying to fix it or run away, he just stands there with her. I think there's something really powerful about bearing witness. And to your point about the divisiveness of, of politics, I think bearing witness to different points of view is also seriously powerful because oftentimes it comes from a shared value. It's just people see things in very different ways and, and think strategically in very different ways about how those values can be honored. And we may agree to disagree. But I think oftentimes politics and religion are the two, ten, ten, you know, as someone who hosts dinner parties, that's, those are the two of the topics that often find uh, times can lead to divisiveness. But I think sort of final point, I think you're right, is if you come in without an agenda and you sort of bear witness, or if your agenda, I should say, is really around finding common ground and or agreeing to disagree, but doing so with an intention and a commitment to adding value to other people. I don't want to say you can do no wrong, but I think you're coming in a way where your resilience and your sort of openness can lead to roads that others may not see. So we've talked a lot about authenticity and shining our unique light. What have you discovered to be the unique value that you bring? And how does that play into your vision for Peak Mind? I think my greatest unique value is in some ways is in listening and observing and being a vessel. When I'm at my best, I'm a vessel for larger visions to pass through. And in some ways, I have the tenacity and community to make some of those visions come through. And so for me, once I'm committed to something 110%, failure is not an option. Or if I, I mean, everyone fails and failure is part of the process of success, but it's sort of a burn the ships behind you mentality. So for me, I feel like my great gift is in the listening. And when I know something is right, like there's a rightness to it. I just did an episode that I launched this week on my own podcast, a gentleman named Navin Pillay. And I've interviewed some really known figures with profound insights, but this man is just like profound in his wisdom. And I spent a week with him doing some deep, deep work. And he talks about the rightness and the rightness that is your unique purpose and your unique gift in the world. And I did it during a period in time where I didn't necessarily, I wasn't, sense. And it was one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had. 
I just got aligned to the fact that that, that that is my rightness. And he uses a paradigm, which is based in an ancient Indian kind of methodology. And I lived in Sri Lanka for two years. So I resonate with it. Sort of the Vedic, this Vedic paradigm of your archetypes. Her archetype is a volley or a vessel. It's in his words, the, the flute that God plays its music through. And my outer archetype is the warrior. So the person that goes out in the world and makes things happen. Not warriors, we know it as in fights wars, but more like goes out, protector of a vision, someone that's out in the world. And so for me, in doing that work, I got clear. And again, these are metaphors, but for me, it was like I got clear on the fact that when I'm listening, I can hear something that I believe to be right and aligned with my rightness. And then I am committed and willing to go out in the world and make it manifest. Well, Michael, you found so much success in so many unique ways. So thank you for letting us into your mind a little bit today. And as we've talked about today, your ability to create connections with some of the greatest people in the world is so inspiring. You've done events with the Dalai Lama and Deepak Chopra and even Eckhart Tolle. And now you're bringing some of these connections to your new podcast, Peak Mind. You're only a few episodes in and you've already done the Dalai Lama and Maria Sharapova. So I highly recommend listeners check it out. Tell us a little about that and where else we can connect with you online. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. It's, it's been an incredibly exciting time. I just launched the podcast. It's called Peak Mind with Michael Trainer. And it's on all the major podcasting platforms. But people can connect with me. I'm on social media pretty much everywhere as at Michael Trainer, And uh, maybe you can link that up in the show notes. And then my website is just peakmind, P-E-A-K-M-I-N-D dot org. And people can drop me a note there or comment on anything on social. I try to respond to everyone because I'm, I'm super intense about building community. So, yeah. And I would absolutely love it, obviously, if people subscribed and rated, reviewed the podcast. Because as you know, that's how it grows in the world. So as we put our heart and souls into it, mean the world to me if people check it out. And grateful for the opportunity to share a little bit of my vision with your audience. And grateful for your time and your insightful questions. Thank you, Melissa. One thing I'd like to point out in this interview is notice when I asked Michael about his ability to make those deep connections that I noticed from the time we first met. And one of the first things he said was, you know, I've been asked this a few times and I'm listening. And so he started to distill down that unique value that he can bring. I have mentioned before that one of the things that changed my life was when I wrote letters to a bunch of different people that I knew from different areas of my life, and I asked them what my superpower was. And I heard from several different people that I knew from totally different areas of my life, like work, roommate situation, my mom, in so many words that I was able to bring information from a lot of different sources, organize it and explain it in a way that people understand. And that ultimately led to the birth of this podcast. The reason that I'm bringing that up is I challenge you guys to take notice of the compliments you receive or ask people what they see in you that maybe you don't see in yourself. Because sometimes that outside perspective is all it takes to give you a new insight into a way that you can add value to this world. All of the links mentioned in this episode, including a link to the Peak Mind podcast by Michael Trainer, is at mindlove.com slash 072. You can support this show by supporting our sponsors. And as I mentioned earlier, I really do only partner with brands that I love and believe in. 
And speaking of sponsors, guys, so Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee is sponsoring some of my episodes. Not this one, I swear. I am not getting paid for this. But I want to mention it anyways because I'm drinking it right now and it's so good. So good that I blazed through the supply that they sent me and just ordered another batch of the mushroom mocha with my own discount code. (laughs) Again, I'm not even getting paid for this. It's just that good. But if you want 15% off, use my code MINDLOVE at foursigmatic.com. If you're enjoying Mind Love, tell a friend, family member, or coworker about it. And don't forget to subscribe on CastBox or Apple Podcasts. And if you have a moment, please rate and review. It really does help. Also, for some extra inspiration between episodes, don't forget to sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.